Welcome to the Eat Right Nutrition Podcast, where we partner with experts in the health, wellness, and nutrition field to deliver you an excellent variety of content based on real science, real facts, and real food. I'm your host, Daron. And I'm Nicole. And today we're talking eye health, nutrition, and blue light with Dr. Joseph Allen. Joey, what's up? Hey, uh, Drone, this is great. Thank you so much. <laughs> Not much going on here otherwise. <laughs> but where I, are you, actually? My first question. So I live in Minnesota. Um, mm -hmm. Today, my wife, she uh, had to have, we're, we're both doing some working from home. So my wife is needed the office uh, to do some client work. And so I drove up to my friend's house. And so I'm hanging out in his basement right now. Cool. And, uh, <laughs> hopefully you can't hear the furnace turning on or off, but uh, Minnesota is getting cold. So the furnaces are on. So yep. Minnesota is quite cold. I mean, it's cold here in New York. It's cold in Boston, but Minnesota. Yeah, you can take the get cake. The... Yeah, exactly. Uh, first and foremost, I'm always looking for interesting guests for our podcast and just people who are excellent and really good content in their field. And in this case, I wasn't necessarily looking for content. I was actually looking for advice on blue light glasses. And I just, you know, YouTube, you find everything. There's an expert for everything. I just typed in a simple search and you were the first one that popped up. And I was like, oh man, this guy really knows what he's talking about. And I sent it to Nicole and I'm like, Nicole, we're going to get this, this eye, Dr. Eye Health on. It's going to be great. I'm going to meet, I'm going to message him. And, uh, <laughs> and we were pleasantly know, surprised. And now, and now here we are <laughs> here recording we are. this episode. I, I think you have a lot of great insight on mm -hmm. blue light, how it affects the human body, how it affects your sleep, just eye health in general and nutrition as it pertains to eye health. So that's, definitely something that I want to dive into. I think it's valuable, important content. And looking at your YouTube, it's amazing. It's a really good page. Thank you so much. <laughs> it's, it's, been a, it's been a lot of work um, for the last like two and a half years. Mm -hmm. So thank you. That, that means a lot. It's only been two and a half years? Since uh, the first video went up uh, July of 2018. And it's, it's been a steady process. Uh, it's been, yeah, it's been a long road. And I'm still working on it, but it, thank you. That that does mean a lot. Yeah. What prompted you to like jump on YouTube and start sharing all of this amazing information? So I guess being, I think I kind of grew up with YouTube. It came out when I was just kind of middle end of high school. And thankfully we're at this point where if you want to learn something, if there's mm -hmm. a new skill or you're not sure what's going on, you can look things up and you can usually learn about it pretty easily. And I bought a, my wife and I bought our first house at middle of 2017 and I needed to mow the lawn and my lawnmower was not working and <laughs> I needed to fix it. And I called my dad uh, and asked him what's going on, but I'm a visual learner. I need mm -hmm. to see it. I need someone to kind of walk me through this process. So I listened to him and then I tinkered around with the lawnmower. It didn't work out. So I finally just looked up on, on YouTube, like how to fix your lawnmower and watched a 15 minute video. And at the end I was like, oh, I got, I know exactly what to do, fixed it, no problem. And I kind of had this interest, like what is out there about eye care? What's, mm -hmm. what's, you know, everybody comes in and sees me for as a patient 
and they ask me tons of questions. And I'm like, well, if they're asking me, they have to be asking questions online and trying to figure out this for themselves. And I just couldn't find anything about eye care. And a few things that were there were really old. Maybe it was like a retina doctor, a specialist who is not talking to the general public. They were using terms that we use in eye care, but nobody knows what that means. So I was like, well, what if I had like a TV show that just broke things down simply? And even if it helped one or two people, I know I would enjoy doing it and it would totally be worth it. So uh, I kind of went with that attitude. And uh, I honestly didn't have many people watching or anything until about three, four months in. And then all of a sudden I had this surge of subscribers and viewers. And I was like, I knew it. I knew people (laughs) were wanted to know this information. And uh, once I kind of got that surge and that confirmation that, yes, this is working, uh, I've, I've been doing it since. Amazing. And, yeah, it's a lot, but thank you. It means a lot to hear that people are enjoying the, enjoying the channel. And uh, I put a lot of heart and soul into it. So thank you. Yeah, I mean, kudos to you. It's excellent content. Yeah. It's some of the best content I've seen. And it's- I learned a lot. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's relatable and- you know, it's easy, yeah. You, you fuse the science with the kind of layman's terminology where yeah. people can understand it, right? And and it's entertaining. It's great content. Thank you so much. <laughs> so let's kind of just dive a little bit into eye health and, and the importance of eye health. And I know this is kind of a general question, but why is eye health important? And how does our overall health and our lifestyle and potentially our nutrition as well affect our eye health? Wow. So that, that is a very much a loaded question, but uh, thank you so much for, for asking that. So your retina in the back of the eye, which is basically the satellite dish that picks up light information and helps you see, is the most highly metabolic tissue in your entire body. It is constantly being bombarded with light energy, and then the retina cells have to regenerate at a constant rate all the time whenever your eyes are open. Our eyes, from from a young child through our entire life, most of our learning is visual. And if you don't have your eyes, unfortunately, you know, thankfully people who do go blind in their lifetime or are born blind still live happy, productive lives. But you can imagine how devastating it would be to lose your vision at any age. In fact, a lot of people will, you ask them, hey, would you rather go blind or would you rather die or what, you know, what, would you rather lose your hearing or lose your vision? Nobody wants to lose their eyesight. Uh, unfortunately, um, some of the most, I think one of the most tragic things, I think one, a lot of things a lot of eye doctors will tell you is that it, it's still emotional when you have a patient who loses their eyesight due to something like age-related macular degeneration or from a tragedy, they get hit in the eye or they lose their eyes. I even have a good friend who has a genetic disease. And when I found out that she had this disease and she's in her 30s, and I, I know that she's ultimately going to lose her eyesight and she's an artist. And it kind of broke my heart because I'm just like, crap, <laughs> you know, like uh, eyesight is so precious to us. Mm-hmm. So when it comes to nutrition and prevention is key, because a lot of things with the eyes, uh, we have some excellent treatments for many diseases now, but prevention is so is number one. If, if prevention can be number one, then we really don't need the treatments, right? So what talking about eye health and nutrition and it's not just our eyes but our whole body and our eyes really are a gateway to viewing the health of your body because this is really important for diabetes but you can imagine your your doctor can 
use a stethoscope and listen to your heart. They can do an X-ray and they can listen. They can see different bone structures. They can even do uh, an angiogram and see the blood vessels in other parts of your body, but they can't like visualize it. They have to look through another medium. Or you can look at your arm, you can see your veins, but in the eye, we have a clear pathway to see the blood vessels in action. And so if blood vessels are weakened or damaged, uh, if they're bleeding from something like diabetes, anemia, then like we can tell what's going on right now, this moment. And if we see that happening in the eye, then we know it's happening elsewhere in the body as well. It's quite powerful. And um, there, there's so much uh, when it comes to nutrition that affects the eyes. And we could probably talk about this for hours. So I'm, I'm excited to, to get into furthermore your questions and helping you guys out. So let, let's kind of just dive into that a little bit. When I was in undergrad in nutrition school, we learned about mostly diabetes and eye health. And we learned about a little bit about sorbitol metabolism and how that has now correct me if I'm wrong. This is I haven't looked at this stuff in a very long time because uh, I've been in mostly a different realm of the nutrition field. But that like sorbitol doesn't have a kind of exit way out of the the cells of your eyes right so yeah. you have that's, that's correct absolutely right so sorbitol is a sugar alcohol and it's that glucose enters it so can you kind of dive into that yeah, a little bit for us? yeah yeah no that's it's a great question so i'm gonna have to i'm gonna be like you i'm gonna have to pull back some of this uh some of this memory from from school days so glucose that you're whenever you eat especially our our sugars that are in our body glucose will get shunted into your tissue and then through an enzyme called aldose rehydroctase. Oh gosh, I'm close. Uh, Dehydrate. Uh, uh, anyway, there's an enzyme. Dehydrogenase? That, uh, there you go. Um, yeah, there we go. <laughs> I'm like, gosh, I'm so close. The That enzyme breaks down glucose into sorbitol. And then sorbitol eventually gets broken down into like fructose and it gets able to exit the cell. But sorbitol builds up rather rapidly. And unfortunately, just like you said, sorbitol can't break out of cell membranes. It's trapped within the cell. And what happens is that when you have that increase in sorbitol substance, the, the cell has to find its equilibrium. And it does that by drawing in water into the cell. When it does that, it weakens the cell membrane and eventually it dies through apoptosis or it bursts. So this is important, especially when it comes to diabetes, like you mentioned, because the sorbitol will increase that volume and it'll kill a cell on your blood vessels that is called a pericyte. Not a parasite, but the cell itself is called a pericyte. And it helps auto-regulate the dilation of your blood vessels and it helps keep the really the health of the endothelium of your blood vessel. And so this happens throughout your entire body and then it, it can cause further damage. And I can go into that whole pathway for diabetes if you'd like. But sorbitol also affects the lens inside the eye, and that can change your prescription for glasses. And, and, and there's a lot of ways the eyes get affected through that pathway. So, you know, it's interesting from my, from my standpoint, because when I was studying, and I see even to date that, you know, it's like you have a diabetic client or a diabetic patient, and it's like, oh, God, another one, right? Because it's, the change is so hard. And I've had clients that they start to lose their eyesight. They start to lose feelings in their fingertips or their toes. And it's like, oh man, like how, how do I get you to, like you're losing your eyesight. Like if that's not enough to get you to, to make the change, I, I don't know what is. Oh, it's, it's tough. Uh, it really is. I think the last time I looked up the numbers, I think it's like 
10% of the U.S. population is diabetic, but like a third of the U.S. population is pre-diabetic, uh, mm-hmm. and most people don't even know it. Yeah. And I think I think in people who are much older, um, like over the age of 60 or 65, it's like half the population uh, in the U.S. is is pre-diabetic or or already diabetic. So it's it's quite alarming. And diabetic retinopathy which ultimately can lead to blindness, uh, is the number one most preventable form of vision loss in the United States. And wow. so it's, it's quite remarkable. Um, but yes, uh, so kind of go into what you were saying, if you had a patient or for you a client who is diabetic, one of the things I try to tell all of my patients that come in, they're recently diagnosed with diabetes uh, from their family doctor or an endocrinologist. They're recently diagnosed, let's say they're type two diabetic, they're 45 they're immediately sent and referred for a diabetic eye examination. So we dilate their eyes, we look inside. No matter what we find, I always tell my patients that, you know, I ask them, has the doctor put them on medication? Do they know their blood sugar levels? Do they know their uh, hemoglobin A1C? I always tell them about some studies that just exercise alone is a huge influential factor on how they could potentially even reverse their diabetes. Uh, yes, you can be put on metformin, which is usually the first medication they're put on, but they, there's a study, and I don't remember when it was published, but they took a large group of patients recently diagnosed that put them on metformin. They took another large group, and then they said, hey, we just want you to exercise and go walk. Just walk for 30 minutes a day. And the patients, after I think like six months, they checked all their blood sugar levels and they found that the people who just walked and weren't even put on metformin did better <laughs> than the people being on, on metformin alone. So uh, I, I try to encourage people like that this is something a lifestyle can, especially caught early, lifestyle changes can astronomically affect uh, and potentially even reverse their, their new diagnosis. Yes, we talk about walking all the time on our podcast. It's my favorite thing for my clients to do. Simple and easy too. You know, you don't mm-hmm. have to actually really have a treadmill. You can just enjoy. I like nature stuff. I think it's really. Oh, absolutely. I, I agree. Um, especially during this COVID quarantine, I've been, yeah. my wife and I have specifically said, no, let's get out and just go for a walk for 10, 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. Uh, no cell phones, just yeah. uh, clear our minds. Uh, you feel refreshed. Uh, there, there's so many great benefits to it, right? Yeah. And just from when we talk about vision, being able to look at everything outside and really connect to colors mm-hmm. and, you know, just. Yeah. There's a lot of cool research going into that too. And just how color affects our mood. Yeah. And, and our depression and things like that. Mm-hmm. So. And sunlight, which I think wasn't yeah. on wasn't on my list for today, but I definitely want to <laughs> dive into that. So, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, what you bring up, definitely, and Nicole and I talked about insulin sensitivity in the last episode with when mm-hmm. we talked about PCOS and walking is one of the best things you can do when you have PCOS because you are increasing insulin sensitivity and you're allowing glucose to enter the cell, which, you know, we know with PCOS is... A difficult thing. Insulin resistance is common with that. But you also kind of dive into a little bit in some of your content about cholesterol and eye health. How does that, that's new to me. So I, I want to hear a little bit more on, the, uh, on that. So the earliest sign or the, the way cholesterol we typically will see in the eye clinic is in the form of a deposit on the cornea called arcus senilis. 
we usually see this uh, when somebody's forward age 40 or above and it's kind of I, i'm always kind of baffled that it's considered normal it's kind of something that we're taught in school that hey if they're under the age of 40 and you see this then you should do a blood workup and check their cholesterol levels if they're over the age of 40 it's just normal and i'm always kind of baffled by that so cholesterol can show up in the eye in the form of a little white or yellow, sometimes bluish ring on the cornea. And it kind of goes right on the edge of where the cornea, the clear part of the eye, the colored part of the eye uh, will meet the white part. And so you see this little yellow ring and that's a deposit of cholesterol. It can also form on the skin around the eyes, on the eyelids in the form of what's called xanthelasma. That's another telltale sign. But even more important, and this is significant affecting more devastating eye health issues because the other two really don't affect your vision but how cholesterol can affect your eyes is in the form of having an eye stroke and source of course cholesterol also has implications for affecting both macular degeneration and then diabetes uh, and other forms of a, does any sort of occlusive eye disease just recently as an example i had a patient who was coming in for their eye exam because he had sudden vision loss we had just seen him in August, his vision was 20-20, and then he's coming in because, hey, about two weeks ago, I started having vision loss in my right eye. And you look inside of his eye and you just see blood everywhere, uh, mostly in the mid periphery of the retina. And you're like, what's going on? There's no other, there's no swelling on his optic nerve. Yes, he's had a history of diabetes, but you're like, what, what exactly is going on? And the, the placement in the, in the retina, when the retina bleeds, there's different types of bleeding patterns. And that's something that you learn in school of the pathophysiology of why they, the bleeding patterns appear different and what depth and what part of the retina. This type of bleeding was in the mid-periphery. And that is pretty telltale for an, what's called ocular ischemic syndrome. This is where there isn't enough blood flow to the eye itself. And this is common due to the patient's carotid arteries being blocked. So you can, so this patient uh, with suspicion of this, we have to re quickly refer for a carotid ultrasound. And oftentimes it ends up being 99% or 100% blocked. So their entire carotid artery from their heart shunting blood to their brain and their eyes uh, is completely blocked by cholesterol <laughs> that's built up over the course of their lifetime. Wow. Now that's just one disease, but there's also what's called a Holland horse plaque. That's so, one of my favorites. But let me let me just yeah. back, backtrack a little bit. So you're finding atherosclerotic plaque in the carotid artery, but mm -hmm. you're also linking ischemia in the vessels of the eye. So uh, the atherosclerotic plaque can basically block up any any of your arteries. That's going to prevent blood adequate blood flow, and it can cause a true stroke or a damage or a bursting of the blood vessels. But ultimately, it can prevent blood flow to the structures, whatever that, that artery is leading to. And that can lead to ischemia, which is the lack of nutrition, oxygen, and then an increase in reactive oxygen species, which is going to cause inflammation, uh, new cell signals to grow new blood vessels, and it, it can start changing a lot within your, your entire eye health can be affected through that. Most tragically is that you can have a stroke in the brain or it can lead to a heart attack and, and death. It's crazy stuff. <laughs> I know I'm speechless. I'm like, whoa. I'm like, whoa. <laughs> whoa. <laughs> so um, the other way cholesterol affects the eye are, are those two other ways is that you can have a true occlusive event through what's called a Hollenhorst plaque where we can 
during an exam, we'll see a chunk of this fat, this cholesterol that's usually broken off from the carotid artery where it's been building up, and then it'll be stuck in the eye. So we'll see this chunk of cholesterol stuck in this bifurcation of the blood vessel. Again, we can see the blood vessel in action. So we can see the cholesterol stuck in there. Oftentimes the patients are asymptomatic. They don't even know that's there. We just catch it on a routine exam. We'll just see, oh, you have this chunk of cholesterol stuck in your artery. So then we order carotid ultrasound, get them to see a, a vascular surgeon in case they need to have it removed. Probably, I think more commonly that we do see are either a stroke within the eye, which can either be uh, what's called a retinal artery occlusion, or even more often than an artery occlusion is a retinal vein occlusion, which is a consequence of atherosclerosis and arteriosclerosis, uh, largely due to poor diet, inactivity, increased just genetic risk for heart disease and um, stroke. High stress, inflammation, yeah. lack of sleep, all the you things. You got it. All those <laughs> and you guys talk about that in a lot of your shows, uh, well, which you I absolutely love. Everyone, right? Yeah. Everyone. You know, it, it's... It's interesting because with this podcast, I'm kind of like, I feel like we're always driving the same stuff over and over and over again. And it's not magic. It's just you, you have to reduce your stress. You have to get adequate sleep. You have to get adequate omega-3 fatty acids. Mm -hmm. You have to get, you know, balance your omega-3 and omega-6 oh, fatty yeah. acids. You have to do what you can to reduce inflammation. You have to control your blood sugar. Like all of these things are things that we know. But not we, easy to do. We constantly have to kind of drive it home on a consistent basis. And I think if somebody hears it enough, then mm -hmm. they'll make that change and they'll make those necessary changes. And yeah. I, that's that's I love that about your guys's podcast. I really do. I know I've been I had to mention this to you guys before that I I've been listening to it and I, I it's like my favorite new podcast because I even hearing it again really solidifies it for me to like, no, I need to work out. I need to make that a priority. <laughs> I need to exercise and I need to get good sleep. I think a lot of us, mm -hmm. uh, you know, especially even in medical training, you're, you're kind of taught like to stay up late and study, uh, and then get in the clinic and you're studying again up late. You're doing all these, and like, no, that, that lack of sleep is bad for you. It is terrible for your health. So that's one of my big intentions of late is to focus more on getting good sleep. There's a lot. There's a lot to be said about it. But thank you, you know, guys. So yeah, for you know, bringing I, all that stuff up. I think we've all gone through phases where we just, you know, even for me in undergrad, I was like, I just don't, I don't, I worked a full-time job, 50, 60 hours a week. I went, I studied all night. There's some nights I didn't even sleep. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, and then you're in hindsight, you're like, how many years did I age? Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, a close, close friend of mine, one of my best friends, he's a, he's currently a resident and he hasn't consistently been able to work out all throughout med school, pretty much most of residency. It's getting a little easier as he approaches towards the end of it. But it's like, man, the, the sacrifice, it's it's commendable. It's in some yeah. aspects, I'm like sacrificing yourself for the greater good of you know society and helping other people. Just because you mentioned it uh, for a second earlier about omega-3s and like the balance, like omega-3s have a huge role in the eye. Anything from dry eye disease to retinal health and diabetes and age-related macular degeneration, omega-3s play a big role in that. And more recent studies in the last five years continue to show more support for uh, whether it be omega-3 supplementation or if through a diet, you know, I try to always stress to my patients, diet is best before supplementation, but the, um, that, that plays a significant role in preventing things like diabetes. They found Patients who have consistent higher amounts of omega-3s in their diet, whether it be through a diet form or from an in 
from an intake of a supplement not only have less chances of developing diabetes affecting the retina and developing diabetic retinopathy, the people who do get diabetic retinopathy, it's not as severe. And the people who need treatment, the treatment has a better effect <laughs> when they're taking higher amounts of omega-3s. And it's, it's just quite remarkable. So now um, it's not considered standard of care, but uh, as of yet, until you know, probably another few years, but uh, many eye care professionals, including retina specialists, are starting to prescribe or recommend uh, omega-3s to, to patients. Now they're speaking nice. my language. I know. <laughs> so, you know, for, for anybody out there listening, uh, eat fish twice a week or consume uh, omega-3 supplementation uh, in some way. It's definitely important. It's something that we, you know, preach a lot. And I think, uh, you know, a lot of the thing with the fatty, the fatty acid balance that we talk to, we talk about Nicole often is the balance between omega-6 and omega-3 and the consuming a ton of highly refined processed foods that contain a lot of these uh, refined seed oils that are very high in omega-6. And then you have this 40 to one, in some cases, ratio of omega-6 mm-hmm. to omega-3 fatty acids. And, you know, I, I don't ever want to say it like omega-6 fatty acids are a bad thing. They're good. They are also protective for your body, but it's about the balance of the two. So if you're not consuming a balance and you're not focusing on eating fish at least twice a week or supplementing with omega-3 fatty acids, it's definitely something that's important. And Joey, as you mentioned, for eye health as well. Oh, absolutely. Being that the retina is a direct extension of your brain it's from fetal development and through your entire life. And there's a lot of new literature that's supporting use of omega-3s for your brain health. And that extends to the retinal health as well. So. Yeah. I think it also, what you were saying a, a bit ago too, is I always tell clients to make sure they're getting their checkup. I mean, I think it's yeah. important when you talk about prevention is that they're actually going to get their eyes checked. I feel like, and I might be wrong, but I feel like my clients will go for all their other visits. Like we get our teeth cleaned and, you know, for females, we go to our, the guy, know, we get everything checked out, but very rarely do I ever ask as I'm sitting here thinking about this, do I, do I ever ask, Hey, when was the last time you had your eye examed? Yeah. That's a fantastic point. Uh, so many people just feel, Hey, I see fine. Right. <laughs> uh, they, they don't have a concern about it. Unfortunately, most eye conditions, uh, blinding eye conditions, they creep up on you and you don't, it's like uh, blood pressure, right? The uh, silent killer. You aren't symptomatic until it's too late. Like mm-hmm. glaucoma is like that. You could be going blind your whole life and then all of a sudden you don't realize it until, you know, we could have caught this 20 years ago, but you, you never came in. Mm-hmm. And, and I think honestly, the reason why that isn't ingrained in our society, like with dentistry, brushing your teeth twice a day has been preached by them since like the 1920s or something like that. Uh, I care. I, I think this is a failure upon our academies, our um, boards, we haven't done good enough of just public outreach about how often you should be seen. There's also arguments between the different uh, uh, like thought leaders and authority leaders in eye care about how often people should be seen. Uh, I personally recommend a yearly eye exam, uh, whether you feel your vision is changing or not, mm-hmm. because uh, I, I catch a lot of crazy stuff when people come in, oh, I just need to do my contacts and nothing else wrong. And I'm I like, was just going to say that I go in for my contacts. That's yeah. definitely what brings me in. Mm. I, I just this year, right before COVID hit, I had a patient who was 26. She, you know, young, healthy, not diabetic, nothing wrong, just needed contacts. And she had a particular hemorrhage in the retina, which is called a Roth spot. And it's a bleeding, large red 
hemorrhage, but in the center is an infarction. It's uh, basically they're, they're not getting getting blood flow to a certain spot and see this white spot and then it's like an egg yolk of, of white in the middle of a red of a red kind of spot and usually you only see that in a few conditions uh, either they have uh, something like hiv which is 26 and i doubted it the other possible possibility would be something like leukemia something's wrong with their blood like cancer or a little bit more likely and i was thinking this was that anemia no she, mm-hmm. she had no other symptoms but I ordered a blood test and she was from out of state, interestingly enough. So she's like, okay, I'll just take the order to my doctor next week. Well, I didn't hear from her for all of quarantine. I finally called her up once I got back to the clinic and said, hey, whatever happened or did you get to your doctor? She said, you saved my life. Uh, I went to the doctor because I was feeling ill the next day and they did a blood test, but they ran it twice and her platelet levels were so low. They immediately admitted her to the hospital for five days and kept her in a protective bubble because if anything would have cut her, she could have bled out to death. So she didn't even know that that was going on. But thankfully, we were able to be like, this isn't right. We got to get this checked out. And uh, ultimately, she she recovered. But she had an autoimmune condition where it was attacking her platelets. So wow. she wasn't clotting correctly. So yes. So get your exam. Yeah, <laughs> I, I personally recommend at least every year. Uh, the Academy or the Board of Optometry in the United States recommends every one to two years. If you're diabetic, it absolutely is every year. I think the Academy of Ophthalmology really, uh, so again, there's feuding arguments between the different um, professions, but the Academy of Ophthalmology, I think, recommends once over, once you're over the age of 40, it should be like every one to five years. And I think it's outdated, but mm. we'll, we'll hopefully we'll get together and get a good solid thing going forward and recommending that to the, to the public. I haven't gotten my eyes checked in a long time. Jerome, <laughs> I'm going to be honest. And you know what? And, and, I, and I have the insurance for, I have the coverage. I'm going to go do yeah. it. You're this, that's your home. I'm homework. scheduling an appointment. <laughs> I'm scheduling. I promise I'm scheduling an appointment. First thing Monday morning. I was watching your video on eye floaters because I had gone to my eye doctor maybe two years ago. Cause I had a floater and I was in your video for our listeners. You've got to check out his YouTube channel. I was panicking like you were describing like people fear them and I was I was and I went to the doctor and she was like you're okay calm down and she explained it and it was really nice and uh, reassuring to hear you explain it the same way so I felt like okay she knew what she was talking about (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's you know floaters is something that uh, I think just about everybody will experience in their lifetime if you live long enough you'll probably see them Mm -hmm. Uh, but it is it is frightening and there is, you know, it's about 5% of people will have complications due to that, um, but it can be quite serious and it's unfortunate, but a lot of times people will just say, oh, it'll get better on its own. It'll get, I, I won't go into the eye doctor. They try to, it's usually men too. Uh, we were worse about this than women, <laughs> but we put things off. And then finally, after a week or two, and it's not getting better. In fact, it's getting worse. Then we go in. Yeah, I thought it was my contacts. Wait, wait, wait. (laughs) I didn't see that video. I don't even know what we're talking about. Oh, my gosh. I watched so many of his videos. I, like, spent, like, an afternoon being, like, tag, tag, tag again. (laughs) But I find it so interesting. Like, we were talking about in the beginning, you know, we check all areas of the body. And from a nutrition standpoint, we talk about how our gut functions and how our cholesterol, blood pressure, and all these things. And so when Daron started, when he had sent your original uh, YouTube video, I was, like, I need to know way more. I'm behind. I got to catch up. And so I felt like, I don't know, I'm kind of a dork like that. Once I get hooked, then I started taking notes. I even used my highlighter, but don't tell anyone that. (laughs) 
I have to say, Nicole, it makes me so happy to hear that like you you you're interested in this and you get passionate about it because that's that's what I am. I, I am so passionate about health in general, um, but then definitely with eye health, obviously. Daron, you had a question about eye floaters. Um, so you don't have you ever noticed little floating hairs or spots occasionally if you're looking at a computer screen or if you shift your eyes from side to side, you never see these little drifting spots? Potentially, maybe. Uh, like I if you look I... at a white wall, I feel like that's when like I'm looking at it now and I can see when I like shift my eyes side to side. I have one teeny, teeny. It's so small that it was annoying. I was like, am I see like I couldn't tell if I was seeing it or not. So you've never experienced that. You're a lot younger than I am. though. Oh, too. you know what I have experienced <laughs> is like that kind of halo that uh, I, I believe is associated with some kind of a migraine. Oh, like a visual mm. where, migraine? Yeah. where I don't it? get I don't get headaches, but I see mm, a light in a light in my view and it's just there for a pretty prolonged period of time and then it just goes away yeah and i'm like i've had it sitting down you know i've I had it one time sitting down with a client and i'm like looking at her like i'm like i'm i probably look so weird right now <laughs> i'm like i'm so sorry i, I know just you blank and blank and like i vision. always that always goes away if i eat something so i often wondered if that was like a blood sugar thing so I actually have a video on that one too. <laughs> and I made yeah. that as one of my earlier videos. But uh, so in general, a, an ophthalmic migraine or what's called a migraine with aura, and you don't have to get a headache afterward. Uh, like Daron was saying, you can, like I, I, I unfortunately have had migraines since I was about, um, I was about third grade. I only get them a few times a year, but I see that same thing you're describing there, Jerome. It kind of looks like a strobe light or some people describe it as a waterfall or like a prism of colors. And it usually starts small, kind of off to the side of your vision a little bit. And then it starts to grow and it gets bigger and bigger and kind of flashes. And then it starts to recede and get smaller. Sometimes it forms kind of an arc in your vision. That's and what I ever... experienced is the arc. Yeah. That's exactly ever... it. Yeah, Exactly. But if you ever check out the video I did on uh, like aura migraine, migraine of aura or something it's called, uh, uh, I tried to recreate it. And it's amazing how many people comment. They say like, I can't watch this because it, it feels like it triggers it. But uh, in general, it, it is related to a migraine. It's just occurring instead of in the front of your head, it's occurring in the visual cortex of your brain. And that speaks usually to both eyes. And uh, it usually lasts 30 to 60 minutes. But most people who are experiencing that freak out because they think they're having a stroke or yeah. they think something's happening neurologically. And so they come in to see us and we have to just make sure the retina is okay. And then we tell them what's going on. And, but yeah, it's, it's frightening. Is, do you know what causes something like that? It's still very much a mystery, but good question. Uh, yeah. In general, the original thought of, I don't know if you have a podcast on migraines, that'd be a fun one. That'd but, be a good uh, one migraines, the original old classic theory was that there was some sort of a vasospasm in your artery walls inside your brain. And then that was why you experienced the pain because uh, your brain doesn't have like pain receptors. But the new theory that I've read has to do with change of polarization in the electrochemical balance of your brain. And somewhere in the brain, it gets triggered. And so it starts to depolarize these electrical signals. And then it radiates through your brain. And that's why these migraine migraines kind of radiate through everything. Usually, though, for myself, if I start seeing the flashing, like Daron was explaining, I immediately just have to take uh, like an aspirin, a Tylenol, drink a bunch of water and usually go lay down uh, and it goes away. You know, I do feel like and I don't, I don't this is just my own observation. If I'm you know, really tired, really stressed out and I've had a yeah. ton of coffee, 
I feel like that's a trigger for that for me. Yeah, um, it's. Uh, I meant. I think I mentioned it in the video, but uh, the most classic triggers for migraines include uh, lack of sleep, too much or too little caffeine. It's interesting how the science will go either way. Mm -hmm. uh, red wine is a classic trigger. So is uh, dark chocolate, and I think it just might be chocolate in general. Uh, cigarette smoke and cheese and smoked meats. Those are all, you know, it's all the good tasting stuff. That's I was going <laughs> to say, they go all my, all my ladies that all I work the, with. I was just going to say all the ladies. All the ladies and, that and, a lot of my clients are in. I work with a lot of menopausal women and mm -hmm. wine is a huge trigger for not only headaches, but or migraines, but night sweats and different type of hormonal triggers. Um, yeah. And chocolate is the same. So there we just lose everything when. And, and women are known <laughs> to be, have get migraines way worse than men yeah. uh, and more yeah. frequent. It's true. I'm sorry. Ladies Thanks. get like the blunt of everything. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's a rough life, but, but ladies are excellent. We love ladies. Uh, they rule the world. They yeah. Really do. yeah. We wouldn't exist without them. So all excellent stuff. I appreciate the knowledge that you bring to you're bringing to our show and to our audience. The next thing I want to dive into is light and sleep and melatonin and let's let's just kind of dive into that so you know what led me to finding you was the blue light glasses and just looking mm -hmm. for recommendations and i i'm gonna ask you for some recommendations at, at the end of this when we kind of wrap it up because i get a ton of questions from people about blue light glasses i'm in front of the computer right and from for nicole and i we're trying to help people get a more restful sleep right so that they can perform better the next day, make the right choices, right? Because lack of sleep is also associated with the behavioral piece of it, where you make bad decisions the next day when you haven't had a good night's sleep. So talk to us a little bit about light and your eyes and sleep and that whole process. The whole concept of blue light affecting our eyes and our sleep cycle isn't even, well, blue light affecting the eyes in general is not a new concept. I know it's really become more popular in the last, let's say, five to 10 years. So to, to kind of just go through that, how the eye works and how light affects the eye and then ultimately your brain and your sleep cycle, your eye itself has two different photoreceptors. It's got rods and cones. Your rods, I think you have like 13 like million rods or something like that. It's a lot. Those pick up white and dark. So just being able to detect that there's light. Then you have your cones, which protect color vision. And yeah, I think you have like 6 million uh, cones. And those send signals as photoreceptors, like, hey, you're seeing color, you're seeing light. Those get sent to different parts of the retina, which go to a retinal ganglion cell. Those retinal ganglion cells ultimately become your optic nerve, which send that light information to parts of your visual cortex in your brain to give you eyesight and vision. Now, these ganglion cells, there are a small percent of ganglion cells, about 5% of them, called intrinsically photosensitive retinal ganglion cells. That means that they don't need to receive signals from the rods of the cones. They can be excited just by light hitting them just on the, all on their own. It's like a third photoreceptor. And these types of ganglion cells don't speak necessarily to the visual cortex. They don't tell you that there's an image of a shape or a person in front of you. They instead speak to different parts of the brain, such as the hypothalamus, uh, the supraventricular pathways, a couple other pre-optic areas, the supra, suprachiasmatic nucleus. And those are the parts of the brain that are going to control your melatonin production, your sleep cycle, and even other parts of even your mood. Uh, they also control your pupil constriction. 
that ganglion cell and why blue light is so important for the, really regulating this type of process and why it's so important at this time is because that ganglion cell is hypersensitive right in the blue light zone. That ganglion cell really activates to any type of light. So whether it be yellow light or red light or anything, but blue light seems to be activating it the most. And it's right in the zone of about 450 to 480 nanometers of light. So that's at least the studies that I've read, uh, they seem to all kind of be somewhere in that zone between 450 and 480. Again, blue light being a danger to the eye has been around for a long time. And I think one of the biggest issues with blue light glasses is that right now, companies all over are making blue light glasses. It seems like there's 10 new companies every day coming out with blue light glasses. You know, they don't really tell you what type of blue wavelength they're blocking. And it doesn't tell you much about how blue light really affects things. Most companies will advertise that blue light, hey, these blue light, black, blue light glasses are going to help you sleep better, or they market that's going to help reduce your eye fatigue, or uh, they may even say that it's going to prevent eye damage. Um, so unfortunately, there's a lot of marketing confusion out there. But the main primary source of blue light ever is the sun. The sun provides the most energy of blue light. And so that's important because that helps, obviously, when the sun goes up, uh, it talks to your brain to say, hey, shut off your melatonin. It's time to wake up, be active, be energetic. And then when the sun goes down, you stop getting that blue light. And that's our natural train of how our human eyes and brains have developed for thousands and thousands of years to say, hey, melatonin start going up. We're going to get, we need to get tired. We need to go to bed. So, you know, just to kind of touch up on that for our audience. Yeah. So, you know, we evolved over millions of years and we didn't have electricity. You know, we didn't, we didn't have fire until later on. Right. So sun goes up, we're awake, right. Our body produces cortisol. And then we go to bed when the sun goes down because we produce melatonin in response to lack of light. Can you go into that a little bit more? Yeah. So uh, that's kind of what I'm getting into is that our brains are naturally kind of attuned to being present and awake during this light cycle of being exposed to sunlight, which again, blue light triggers that type of part in your retina that is most sensitive to that type of light. But now <laughs> you got it right on the, the head of the nail there that our lifestyles were all surrounded by not just computers, but other forms of light, uh, such as artificial light in your, your house, pretty much all times of the day. And so your brain is getting the signal that, hey, it's still daylight out. And that suppresses the melatonin that you're being produced, both in the amplitude of how much melatonin, as well as just delaying the release of the melatonin by several hours. So if, if you are a night owl, if you're staying up, and this is something I can't believe as a kid, I stayed up all night playing video games till like, you know, two in the morning and then I didn't sleep. And then you wake up the next day, you feel groggy and then you're not studying very well and uh, like how how that affected me. Um, I just think like, gosh, where would I be today if I if I didn't spend all those nights just staring at a computer screen? But uh, I don't know if you do. You guys feel that? Do you, have you guys noticed um, maybe even more so during the quarantine is how much time you're spending on a computer yes. if you're not sleeping as well? Absolutely. Jerome and I were talking about. Um, I've been on my phone more because a lot of my communication now is FaceTime calls with clients. Since if we're not actively in the gym, you know, some of the gyms have closed and we're not able to train them in person. So I'm doing Zoom calls and I'm doing, you know, nutrition calls via FaceTime. And so I'm definitely in front of my phone way more. And for us, when we're, we're in the gym, people and interaction and community, and I mean, that's mm -hmm. literally what feeds us. That's why we're in this industry. So it's yeah, way so different. Yeah, definitely. 
you know, it's it's so my circadian rhythm was completely out the window when quarantine <laughs> hit for various different reasons. Right. I was I was like, all right, first month or two, I was playing video games and then it became all right. I got to get to work. We got to do something. Then we started a podcast during quarantine and now I'm up late editing podcast episodes. Right. And I'm in front of the computer screen for four hours at a time trying to, you know, crunch down. And I'm I'm sure, you know, Joey, with editing videos like you're in front of the computer screen for a while. And that's actually where I stumbled across your content because I was like, I need some blue light glasses like this is really fucking me up for lack of better terms. Right. <laughs> it's it was really kind of getting to me and I wasn't getting to. I mean, there were some days where like I'd get to bed at like three, four o'clock and. I was very grumpy the next day, by the way, I, I wasn't do, and I was waking up late and I just felt awful. And I had to consciously take the initiative to be like, all right, I'm shutting the computer at a certain time. I'm prepping myself. I'm going to take some sleep supplements for the first month just to kind of get that that until I get my sleep hygiene back in order. Yeah, it's a battle when you're in front of the computer screen all day. Very much so. Um, I even feel it uh, some nights if I'm up late and I forget to put on my blue light glasses or something like that. I'll go to bed, but I'll lay there like jittery. Mm -hmm. Like I just drank coffee or something like that. And it's harder for your brain to shut off because you are not feeling that natural kind of sedative to say like, hey, it's time to, to wind down. So I know exactly what you're talking about. And I think it's worse now than ever because yeah, everybody's at home. Like yeah. most people aren't even, they're, they're not driving into work. Instead, they're just staying at home and working from home and staying on the computer all day. <laughs> And then what happens when they're not uh, on the computer? They're looking at their phone. Uh, you know, we're unfortunately, are, I, th I think in general, a lot of us are, are just addicted to our phones, especially the young, younger age groups. So it's, it is becoming an issue. We have more and more exposure over time. I mean, myself, I have a laptop, I have an iPad and I have a phone. And, you know, every once yes. in a while, I watch the occasional show, TV show. And I think one of the important things is a lot of people, and I just had a discussion earlier today with somebody about uh, melatonin supplementation. You know, he was talking to me about how he used to take 10 milligrams of melatonin. This is something that I hear very often. And, you know, from my knowledge, from some of the research that I've read, the human body creates about 300 micrograms of melatonin. In terms of melatonin production, you're, you're taking a exogenous form of an endogenous hormone and you want to be able to produce that on your own. So I always say for people, it's okay to supplement with anywhere from one to three milligrams of melatonin, anywhere from one to three months. But after that, while you're doing that, you're going to need to focus on your sleep hygiene and your light exposure. And if that means that, hey, you know what, I have to work late, maybe, you know, have something like blue light glasses, that's going to help you to block some of that light coming in and help your body to naturally produce its own melatonin so that you can sleep better. Yeah. Melatonin has so many effects uh, hormone wise on your whole body. And it, it's amazing. There's even some use it right now for prescribing melatonin to patients with a certain retinal disease because they found that that actually helps improve the, the, ret the recovery of the retinal disease. Uh, it's called central serous retinopathy, which is somewhat directly related to cortisol release stress. It basically causes a blister like formation in the retina, but and it probably has more effect on our bodily health than we even realize, certainly more than to my knowledge. So, you know, kind of recapping with that uh, blue light stuff, mm -hmm. I, I know that you've done reviews because I've seen them and I've watched a ton of them. Best blue light glasses overall. Do you have a few uh, brands that you like in terms of, you know, functionality? and? Absolutely. Uh, so 
this is a, again a tough area because there's so many companies out right now with blue light technology or blocking technology and everybody claims the same thing because their their marketing wants to be like we're the best we're the best no we're the best from from even my own understanding and wanting to I want to recommend what's good for people there are different amounts of blue light protection and there's different wavelengths of blue light protection so if you're concerned about your sleep pattern you do want to find a pair of glasses that blocks between that 450 and 480 nanometers of light range. Because again, that's where the ganglion cells are most sensitive. Now, the one that's been out the longest and has the most research backed behind it, and they even have their own patents on it, is from a company called Blue Tech. And you can get these from in-store optical glasses. And I believe now they are starting to sell them online. Uh, I'm not sure where, I think there's two websites. I don't remember off the top of my head, but I think there's two websites that do sell them. They, they can, of course, you can get glasses on their own or you can get uh, lenses and you can get your prescription made in those lenses for your standard glasses as well. And they have the technology to specifically block at 455 nanometers of light uh, that they're able to diminish that. And that's the exact wave peak wavelength that comes off of your computer screen. So uh, if I was to say the number one best, I would say that at the time, that uh, of all the blue light glasses I've ever read into or, or I've used. Uh, and those, that brand even doesn't, because most blue light glasses, if you've seen, they turn everything orange or yellow. That company, again, they have patents on it. So they have options where it's not even orange or yellow. It's kind of this subtle, they call it champagne. It's, it's like subtle pink or, or a subtle yellow color, but it's not like a deep orange. So I would still say, if you can, try to check out Blue Tech if you can find them. There are several other brands out there. Unfortunately, if you're going to look in the cheap budget option, like $20 or less, I'm not confident that you're going to find something that's going to really help your sleep. Uh, I think more or less that will, they're kind of glorified sunglasses in a way. They block more of the wavelength of blue light in the lower 400, right above UVB light to maybe the 440 range. And that's a kind of a, I think there's a bit of a marketing scam that you, if you really get into it, a lot of companies will show like a blue light laser pointer going through these blue light glasses. Well, if you were to get one of those laser pointers and test it, or even just read the warning side, it says this laser pointer is 405 nanometers of light, which is basically UV light. And so they're basically just showing you, does this glasses block UV light? They don't really, uh, they're not testing that 455 or 450 and above light range. There are some glasses out there that are really orange and those block all blue light, either just through a filtering process or they have a combination of anti-reflective that bounces some blue light off of it or reflects it back toward the computer screen. One brand of those that I know I've used and I still use is called THL Sleep. I've mentioned those in a video before. And there's another company out of Australia called Blue Blocks. Uh, they both offer those. And then there's some video gaming glasses. Uh, if you've ever checked out Gunner, they're pretty famous in the video gaming, competitive, esports arena. They have many different options. And that's one reason I do like the companies that they do have. They have very light blue light blocking. Or if you want something completely orange, they, have, they offer many different options. But you're usually going to spend closer to the $80 to $100 range for a decent pair of blue light glasses, whether it's prescription or not. I mean, listen, eighty to one hundred dollars to get. Yeah, it. that's not bad. That's nothing to me. For, for <laughs> I always health. say, for for investing in right. yourself, you know, when it comes to your health, there's I don't want to say there's no limit to you know what you're going to spend, but it's very important to invest in yourself. I think you know the the Starbucks cup of coffee that you buy every single day. <laughs> 
that's your that's your glasses right there. Just cut your coffee for a month. Of course, if you're somebody who has prescription glasses, if you go into a local optical uh, an optical or a glasses shop, they will have uh, amazing options for blue light blocking technology. Another good lens is from the Kodak company. Yeah, the people who make film for cameras. Uh, they make glasses lenses as well, and they have a really good lens that you can, and you can't buy them online, but you can get them through local glasses shops. So uh, if you have a prescription pair of glasses, I think that you will probably get better options and people who will really know what's going on if you talk to one of those shops. But definitely with what you said about investing in yourself and investing in your health, um, and that goes back to investing time into yourself back into getting mm-hmm. proper sleep and investing the time to exercise or to meditate. Uh, one of the biggest motivating factors uh, for myself is thinking like, I don't want to be 85. I don't want to be in a wheelchair. I don't want to be blind. I don't want to have my teeth all fall out rotted. <laughs> you know, like, right. uh, and to do that, it's all on me. It's all about how I eat, how I sleep, how I invest uh, in, in keeping my body moving. And I, I only hope that, of course, your, your listeners kind of get either they're just kind of getting on to how important this is or they're already in it or maybe they just need a little bit more motivation i, I hope that yeah i uh, hope that really gets into them so you know one thing that occurred to me let me ask you this i deal a lot with the supplement industry and a lot of it is unregulated with the glasses and their claims is there some type of claims that they block a certain wavelength of light and they don't well, I think the biggest, the toughest thing, like I kind of mentioned earlier, there's a lot of marketing. <laughs> and when, when the science will say one thing and then the marketing team will just twist the words a little bit because they know it's going to sell better. So I don't think a company is going to lie about what wavelength they block, but they'll say it blocks 80% of blue light. Well, what does that mean? Is that 80% of like 400 nanometers of light or is that blocking 80% at 450? You know, they don't really express that. So I've, I've been working with these companies. I always reach out to them. Like, I need to know what wavelengths you're blocking in like very specific details. Uh, unfortunately, I don't have the technology myself to measure that because those instruments I looked into it, they cost several thousands of dollars to buy those instruments to test it. That I think one of the biggest issues in marketing for glasses, specifically blue light glasses, is that they'll market and say, this helps prevent a retinal disease. And if you ever see that, they usually have little star asterisks next to it because there is theoretical and animal studies that show that uh, obviously higher energy of blue light can cause oxidative stress on the retina and may lead to retinal damage, but nothing proven at this time, at the timing of this podcast. But it's there's a lot of research into it. And there's even debate, again, in the eye care community of really the utility of this. Gotta love the animal models that just tell you we need more research. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the, they've done animal studies on rats. Obviously, they put a blue light right up to a rat's eye and flashed it for hours and hours and showed that it caused retinal death. Uh, they've taken human retinal cells onto a petri dish and done the same thing. But the retina in the back of the eye has a structural layer behind it that it helps support it and is constantly helping give you know, antioxidants to the retina to keep it alive and healthy, uh, which at least in epidemiological studies, the results are very mixed, whether or not exposure to blue light really causes damage or if it doesn't. So that's, that's why at this time, there's kind of, we're kind of in this middle ground where we need more information. Well, look at that. Eye research is uh, just as uh, just complicated as, as nutrition. I was just going to say from a nutrition. <laughs> And we're, we're arguing with each other and we're still looking for answers. So 
Yeah, one, this, that... one, one other thing I would comment on if, if we don't, if we have another few minutes, uh, because I think it's important because you mentioned uh, supplementation. With eyes, there is some very good studies on what's called ARETS. It's called the Age-Related Eye Disease Study. And that is a study that was specifically trying to look and find a supplement or a way that we can help prevent or treat age-related macular degeneration the cause of blindness as we get older, a degeneration of the retina due to age. And they did find that if they people take supplements of, now there's two big A-red studies, there's the first one and there's a second, but they found that supplementation of vitamin E, vitamin C, the first study also used vitamin A in the form of beta carotene, zinc, uh, the, that combination was in the first A-reds, that did slow down the rate of this retinal degeneration by about, 25% over five years. So that was a really monumental study in eye care because they were able to say, hey, taking these supplements will slow down this, this terrible disease. You're saying beta carotene and zinc? Well, uh, the original study had vitamin C, vitamin E, and really high levels. Uh, zinc, which also is a high level, is like 80 milligrams of zinc. They threw cupric oxide, copper, uh, because zinc prevents copper absorption. And then they had beta carotene. That was the original study. Of course, maybe you guys know later, they found that if you're a smoker, a history of smoking, supplementation of beta carotene as an artificial form increases your risk of lung cancer. Well, so let me ask, that's it. That's if you're taking vitamin A, like active form vitamin A yes. versus having beta carotene, you know, an antioxidant form in a food. Uh, yes. Uh, so that's why uh, very different. That, that's exactly true. So, but that's why IREDS 2 eventually was done uh, several years later, which they took out the vitamin A supplementation and instead they put in zeaxanthin and mesozeaxanthin. Uh, they also reduced the amount of zinc. Uh, they found that 80 milligrams of zinc basically worked just as well as I think it was 25 milligrams of zinc. I think they had the same results with reducing the amount of zinc and less complications. Zeaxanthin is another really powerful antioxidant for the eyes and eye health. And that's usually found in orange peppers, like orange bell peppers, as well as green leafy vegetables. That, that's another huge topic of debate. <laughs> uh, not debate, but another huge topic we could, we could talk about sometime. You just say green leafy vegetables and peppers, and we're excited. We are trying mm -hmm. to get our listeners to eat as much vegetables as possible. <laughs> yeah, and mix up the variety of colors of veggies. I mean, yeah. listen, what it comes down to is phytochemicals, antioxidants, Phyto yeah. vitamins, yeah. minerals in their mm -hmm. raw form. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, and then supplementation when needed, right? If you're not getting a certain yes. uh, vitamin or mineral that you need and you're low on something, maybe you have a, you know, B B12 is a perfect example. Your body's not producing intrinsic factor. You can't really absorb it. You need a supplement with it, sublingual or injection. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, all, all types of, you know, managing deficiencies. I like to sometimes with clients just cover all bases like, hey, take a multivitamin, uh, just to kind of, you know, round out the round, round out, out some nutrient air. gaps, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, some people might disagree with me on that, but you know, that's kind of my feelings on that. It's very important to get, you know, good nutrition, get outside, walk, get your exercise and, uh, you know, have sleep. an overall, overall, you know, yeah, get your, get adequate sleep, manage your blood sugar, manage your cholesterol, right? All of these things that are controlled by your lifestyle factors mm -hmm. and contribute to your eye health. Absolutely. That, that's, uh, I know we've touched on it a few times, but that, that's absolutely paramount. Ladies and gentlemen, Dr. Joseph Allen, follow him on Instagram at Dr. Eye Health. 
And be sure to check out his YouTube page. If you've got questions about anything related to eye health, check him out. I'm sure all of your questions will be answered or most of your questions will be answered on his YouTube channel. It's a great, great channel. It's very well done. I appreciate all the content that you're putting out. And ladies and gentlemen, if you enjoyed this episode, click subscribe, give us five stars, and you'll hear us next week.